marked as uplift. Paper armies raised on the cheap. All the redemption I can offer, Bruce Springsteen admits, is beneath this dirty hood. In The Triumph of Love, Jeffrey Hill asks, what are poems for? His answer, borrowed from Giacomo Leopardi, is not without its self-directed irony. They are to console us with their own gift, which is like perfect pitch. Let us commit that to our dust. What ought a poem to be? Answer, a sad and angry consolation. What is the poem? What figures? Say, a sad and angry consolation. That's beautiful. Once more? A sad and angry consolation. The repetition of Leopardi's phrase forms a call and response, with the emphasis shifting as each adjective ends a line in turn. But as if to underscore the unromantic tenor of Hill's vision, the exchange is hardly, can I get an amen? No one's likely to get fired up over, once more? A sad and angry consolation. But the words return, a refrain, as a trauma is repeated in Freud's Beyond the Pleasure Principle, and we are to commit them to the dust unto which, Genesis tells us, we shall return, the dirty hood of the grave. The mantra-like repetition of a sad and angry consolation makes the words seem less clear, more in need of interpretation. The question that forces itself is, of course, how something consoling can be sad and angry, or how sorrow and anger can console, when these would seem to be precisely the conditions for which sufferers need consolation. Boethius would have understood. He composed De Consolazione Philosophiae in prison, awaiting execution. According to one reputable source, a cord was twisted round his head so tightly that it caused his eyeballs to protrude from their sockets, and his life was then beaten out of him by a club. Lady Philosophy does not console the prisoner by freeing him, or providing him with worldly goods or happiness, but by reconciling him to his fate. He comes to accept that all things are ordered sweetly by God, and he aspires to achieve spiritual freedom through contemplation of God. Actual redemption is implied, but not easy consolation. Nietzsche saw art and lady philosophy as a benign illusion that sustains us in the face of the awful truth, which would cause our eyeballs to protrude from their sockets. My understanding of poetry's consolatory powers has more in common with psychoanalysis as a way of fortifying the self through the acceptance of perpetual unrest. Our wills and fates do so contrary run that not even our wills are under our control. I wouldn't be the first to see psychoanalysis in this sense as a trope for poetry, or vice versa. In Adam Phillips's psychoanalytical version of Bloom's Pragmatism, a text answers the question, what can it get you out of? 
One thing it can get you out of is the false hope that you can escape unrest. No one here gets out alive is the best-case scenario. Consolation is not false comfort. Poetry's a prophylactic, not a vaccine. One way poetry helps you to accept perpetual unrest, to arm yourself to confront perplexities, is by reminding you that you're not alone, a not-coincidentally-common refrain in popular song. This just in. Everyone you love will be extinguished, and so will you. You're not special. Men and women have been living and dying for a long time, and some of them have left records. Those records won't eliminate your fears. They might help you to live with